today uh, we are continuing our, our series that we have called Habits, uh, small, small Disciplines, Big Results. Last Monday we started our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Here are some ways that we have asked uh, that our church can be involved uh, in our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, there we go. You can uh, pick up a prayer and fasting guide at our Welcome Center or download it from the QR code that's right there in front of your seat. Uh, that'll give you kind of the, the, the guide to walk with us through this time. Each day we have a specific prayer focus. Uh, you'll know what that prayer focus is if you can get a hold of that, that guide. Uh, decide on what you and your family's fasting plan will be. Ours is TV right now and screens, and uh, and I'm twofold, Matthew. I'm looking forward to what God's going to continue to speak to us, and I'm excited about January 30th uh, when Netflix is allowed back into our house. I'm just so excited uh, about that. And then uh, we already had our encounter service on Wednesday. It was awesome, y'all. God did some great things this last Wednesday uh, here in this room. And uh, we're going to have another night of prayer on Sunday night, January 30th. I encourage you to be at that. Uh, tune in on the Saints Community Church Facebook at noon every day but Fridays and Sundays for 10 minutes of prayer. One of our leaders, staff, elders, other leaders are, are just doing a little 10-minute thing. It's literally 10 minutes or less that we are doing at noon, and you can tune in on that, or you can watch it. If you're at work and can't watch it during the time, you can watch it later. Uh, so you can do that. If possible, attend noon prayer on Fridays right here in this room. Uh, and, uh, and then we're asking you to fast at least one meal or the entire day on January the 28th. And uh, if you've never fasted a meal, I, I, I want to just, I'd love to do a little survey, but I'm not going to do that here. But uh, if you've never fasted at least a meal, if not a whole day, I promise you God will do something new in your life that you could have never imagined. Amen? So I encourage you to be a part of that. Today, I want to talk to you from my heart and from God's Word on uh, a little bit of some more serious subject matter even than usual, Okay? And I want you to hear this. I want you to hear, if you're a guest with me, I am speaking as a pastor uh, to shepherd people this morning. If you go to this church and, and this morning you may hear something that kind of goes, oh, man, that's, that's a little harsh or that's a little intense. That's a little more intense than even pastor usually is. I just want to tell you that I've been praying all week over, over the next few minutes, and I've been praying that God helps me deliver everything out of a heart of love. And, uh, and because of, because I love you. So everybody do this for me, okay? If, it might not be for you, but maybe it's just for me. But put your hand over your heart and say this with me. Say, Pastor loves me. Say, Pastor loves me. Come on. Okay. I want to talk to you this morning about why your beliefs matter. Why your beliefs matter. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to be loving. Help this to be truthful. Help this, Lord, to have, uh, Lord, truth and grace mixed in, Lord, like you were able to do as you walked the earth and like you do in our lives even now. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? The year was 2012. I was sick. I had been sick for quite a while. I could not breathe, and it, it went from maybe possibly asthma to much more serious uh, than asthma. They could not figure out what was wrong with me. I had a pick line 
uh, an IV that I had literally was walking around with having to give myself IV antibiotics. I had had 12 bouts of pneumonia in 18 months. I had gone through multiple surgeries, and the doctors kept treating the symptoms, but they could not get to the root. I was seeing infectious disease doctors. I was seeing pulmonologists. I was having doctor's appointments uh, every week, many, many weeks, multiple times a week. I spent at least 50% of my time in bed. We had just launched the church a year earlier, and I spent almost that first two, two and a half years of the church pastoring from my bed. And literally trying to get this church off the ground called Saints Community Church that God had called us to plant. And I remember very specifically that one of the doctors, one of the pulmonologists that I had gone in to see looked at me and he said this. He said, I believe that I know what is wrong with you. And I said, what's that? I kind of perked up and, and uh, he said, I believe that you are allergic. This is his exact words I'll never forget. He said, you are allergic to the city of New Orleans. And he said, if you, and he looked at me really seriously, he said, I need you to listen to me. If you don't move, if you don't leave this city, you are going to die. You're going to leave your wife a widow. You're going to leave your kids without a dad. He said, this city is full of mold and allergens and stuff that many cities in America don't have. You need to leave New Orleans or you are going to die. Well, in that moment, I had a decision to make. In that moment, I had to go back to not what I was hearing, not what I was feeling, not what was happening even in my body physically. I had to go back to my belief system. Hello? I had to go back to a foundation that had already been laid a foundation that was a predetermined set of beliefs that would help me when I came to this conversation with this doctor. And listen, if I had not had that predetermined set of beliefs, there is a good chance, in fact, 100% chance, that I would not be standing on this stage. And there's also a good chance that Saints Community Church would have been shut down in that moment, and it would not be what it is today. I want to talk to you about today about the fact that your beliefs will always affect your behavior. Your belief system will always affect your behavior. And so here's my question. What do you believe and why do you believe it? What do you believe and why do you believe it? In fact, actually, let me take it a step further. What do you believe about God and why do you believe it? Your beliefs matter, and they literally will affect every decision of your life. They will affect how you treat your work. Your belief system will affect every relationship that you have. Your belief system will affect the way that you operate your finances. Your belief system will affect what you decide on church. Your belief system will affect where you live. Your belief system will affect your purpose in life. Your belief system will determine whether or not your life has purpose or it doesn't have purpose. Your belief system will affect whether or not you choose to forgive someone that has hurt you in an intense, radical way or you don't. 
Your belief system will affect what you believe about whether or not God is a healer or whether or not he has abandoned you. I'm here today to tell you, listen, your belief system will affect every single area of your life, every day of your life. Hello? There's a word for belief system that we have in the church. It's kind of a scary word for some of you. It was a scary word for me, actually, even when I was in seminary and Bible college, studying to be a minister. And it's the word theology, okay? Now, some of you go, love that word, appreciate that word. Some of you go, I think I kind of know what that means, but not really. And some of you go, I don't want to say that out loud. That sounds really scary. And others of you go, yawn, I hate all of the ology words. They're boring. Biology, psychology, meteorology. Thank you. Let's all yawn and move on. It's, and so let's just say that word out loud together because here's what I've decided as a shepherd, as your pastor. We're not going to be afraid to say words. Hello? We're not going to be afraid to say things that matter. And we're not going to be afraid to talk about this stuff. And, hello, I'm here to pull everybody up this morning. In other words, I'm here to stretch you. I'm here to grow you. I'm not here to spoon feed you. Hello? So what does theology mean? Here's what it means. It means the study of God's nature and character. The study of God's nature and character. And theology matters. Theology is what will determine whether or not some of our high school students will leave this church and go to college somewhere and, and literally walk away from God. It is according to their theology. Hello? That theology will make a difference whether or not they decide to keep serving God after they leave this church. Theology will decide if someone becomes an atheist. Theology will decide people's opinion of church. Theology will decide, watch this now, whether or not you're sitting in that seat a year from now. Or you walk away from the church. Or you walk away from God. Your belief system affects your behavior and theology matters. Anytime we ask a question about God, who is God? What is his nature? What does he think about this situation? We are asking about theology. And I want to talk for just a second about the last two years, okay? I want to talk for just a second as a pastor, as a shepherd, and also as a studier of culture. I want to talk to you about the last couple of years. I want to talk to you about COVID-19. I want to talk to you about the political landscape that we've been walking through. I want to talk to you about the racial injustices that we've seen. I want to talk to you about the climate that we have had over the last couple of years in our country and in the world. Because as pastors, we sit around and we talk, and we talk about what's happening in your church and what's happening in, in your church. And this week, I was on the phone with four different pastors, some of them that are pastors here locally, others that are pastors in other states. And we, I've been walking with pastors and talking with them and saying, what's happening with you? And telling them what's happened with us. And I just have to tell you, it's an intense, discouraging time for pastors. And here's the vibe that I am hearing from so many pastors. I'm hearing COVID-19 in the last couple of years has destroyed people's theology. It has destroyed people's beliefs. People are walking away from the church. 
People are walking away from God. People are being led to divisive tactics, political tactics that is creating disunity where we have forgotten who we represent and what our mission really is. Listen, our mission is not to be Democrat. Our mission is not to be Republican. Our mission is Christ. That's our mission. And we forgot that. And, and so I'm, I'm driving down the road many months ago, about a year ago, with another pastor, and he is literally like slicing up his people with me. He's literally like, and then this person, and then this volunteer, and then this leader. And I had an elder that, you know, and just literally like we're in the car riding together, and I'm like, bro, you, you need help. You, you need Jesus. You might need some medication, you know, like, and, and I looked at him, and he, he started talking about people's belief system. I can't believe what I'm hearing. I can't believe what people are telling me over the phone. I can't believe what people are saying about the church. I can't believe what people are saying about their, their, the tithe. I can't believe what people are saying uh, uh, about the political thing. I can't believe. And he said, this has destroyed people's belief system. And in that moment, God gave me a revelation in the car. I said, first two things, man. I said, number one, you know, if our people aren't doing what God has called them to do, at what point do we stop blaming our people and start looking in the mirror as their leaders? I said, don't you think some of this is our fault? Don't you think that we've been a mile wide and an inch deep a little too long? Don't you think that we're reaping the fruit of probably the last 20 or 25 years of not helping people understand God's word and true theology? And then the second thing that I said is, this last couple years has been what I call the great revealer. In other words, it's not that, that people's belief system was destroyed. It's that they didn't have a good one in the first place. Hello? Or they didn't have one in the first place. There was no belief system. People are coming into God's church for all kinds of reasons. They like how it makes them feel. They like the community. They, they, they like that they're, they're able to volunteer and be a good person. And I just want to tell you, that's okay. Listen, I want to make it clear. If you're here and you have not yet decided that Christ is your Lord and Savior and you're surrendered to him, we, I, we have a saying around here that you'll hear once in a while. It is, we want you to belong even before you believe. Hello? That's okay. But listen, if you've been in church for years, if you've, been, if you've attended this church for years, if you've heard all that, it is time for us to build a solid foundation, a solid belief system. When the storms come, like COVID-19 or anything else, our belief system stands up and says, it doesn't matter what the situation is, I've already got a foundation. I've got a belief system already. It's already been built. We're going to look at a text for the next few minutes this morning by a guy named Paul. And Paul, you may call him St. Paul or the Apostle Paul, other than Jesus, is probably the most important leader in all of Christian history. He wrote over half the books of the New Testament. He is where we get a lot of our theology from and help an understanding of the nature and character of God. And Here's what you want, I want to help you understand. Paul gives credence to the fact that theology matters. Do you know why? Most of the books that he writes are a refute of bad theology. He's writing letters to people 
to correct their theology. You look at the book of Galatians. There's these people named Judaizers that were former Jews that had gotten, uh, that had given their lives to Christ. And, and they're literally telling people that aren't Jews, okay, that are Gentiles, which is most of us in this room. They're looking at 30 and 40-year-old men and saying, great, you gave your life to Christ. You're, you're part of the way now. You're a Christ follower. But you also have to get circumcised. 30 and 40-year-old men. Okay? If you're in the room you don't know what circumcised means, you can ask one of the leaders later. And Paul, they're saying, you got to follow this. you got to do this. you got to do this. And Paul has to write Galatians to say, no, 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 no. No. No, we're under grace, not the law at this point. You don't have to do all that. It is by faith in Christ alone that you are saved. Not by works, lest any man should boast. Like Paul is writing to them saying, no, i got to correct this. That's bad theology. And then he writes the book of, of Ephesians. And Ephesians was having an issue with what's called works righteousness. In other words, you can do work, and the more work that you do for God, the more you volunteer, the more you do those things, then you get closer to God and you can be saved that way. And Paul's going, no, no, that's not true. No, it is only through Christ. It is not by works. You do works out of a relationship with Christ, not to get closer to God. Hello? The book of Colossians. He writes the book of Colossians because they had become what's called Gnostics. Gnostics actually believe that God created the world and then backed off. In other words, he created the world and then he, he, he didn't want anything to do with that after that. And so we can't have a relationship with him because, yes, he was the creator of the universe. But, but you know, then that was kind of it. That's what Gnostics believe. And then they were coming in saying, actually, the people who are running the world are angels. And so they started to worship angels in Colossae when Paul was writing the book of Colossians. And Paul's going, whoa, hold on, wait a minute, okay? We've got to correct this so he writes the book of Colossians. Paul gives credence to the fact that theology matters. And he writes a book called 2 Timothy to his son in the faith. And Timothy was a pastor of a large church during that time and during that era. And, And Timothy, this young man who's a pastor, is dealing with Bad theology, people week after week after week, and these teachings that are false and incorrect and just bad. And, and this whole region had been kind of infected with bad theology and bad teaching. And Paul is writing to his son in the faith, and he wants to let him know how to handle all of that. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says this. This is Paul writing to the son, to his son in the faith, Timothy, about theology, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. Okay, so wait, just stop right there. Paul lets us know right away, here's what's at stake. This is what's at stake. What's at stake is why theology matters, why another word that we're going to look at in a second, doctrine, matters. The reason why that matters is because all of us have this creator God that we are going to stand in front of one day. He's letting him know, hey, God is going to judge the living and the dead. Now, what that doesn't mean is God's not going to decide who's living, like, like, that's dead, that's alive. It's not that. No, no, no. He's just saying all of us have an appointment with our maker. Hello? 
And that appointment, he's Paul saying, we want that appointment to go well. Hello? We want that appointment with our maker to go well. So he lets us know what's at stake. So then he says to Timothy, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. So this is the what. This is him. This is what Paul is charging Timothy to do. And then he goes into the how. With great patience and careful instruction. Listen, the how is actually essential. Because have you ever heard anybody that you felt like was probably saying the truth, but the way that they said it made it unlistenable? Hello? You couldn't swallow it because you're like, I think what you're saying is true, but you're mean. You're unkind. You're not patient. You're not loving. And, and so he says, hey, here's what you do. Here's how you do it. And then he says, verse 3, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound. What does he say? Let's say it together. Come on. Come on. We're getting over our fear of scary words. Doctrine. Sound doctrine. What does sound mean? Sound means carefully observed, precise, correct. And doctrine, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes, which is a really good Sunday to do that, okay, unless you've got an insane memory, okay? Here you go. Doctrine is actually a set of principles or beliefs. That's all it is. Not scary, okay? Here's what you'll learn as you study God's Word, and really just as you are a studier, period, Big words can have small meanings, okay? All it is is a principle of a, a, a set of principles or beliefs. Your belief system is your doctrine, okay? And so he's saying, like, like, I want you to preach good, sound doctrine. I want the people to learn good, sound doctrine, like the doctrine of sin. Like, what is sin? Where did it come from? How does it affect? us? How does it infect us? What, what, why do we need Christ because of that sin? Some of you could give like surface level answers and, and some of you that have grown up in the church, your answer for all of what I'm saying today is because the Bible says so, okay? And we've got to have a, even a better answer than that, okay? And so, so listen, or the doctrine of Christ, okay? The doctrine of Jesus, was he fully man or was he fully God? Which one was he? Well, I believe he was both. Okay, and the Bible lets us know that he was both. But but then you ask the question, why? Why was he both? How can you? How how do you have that belief system? How do you have that set of principles? Paul is saying, verse in verse three. Watch this. That there's going to come a time. <laughs> there's going to come a time when it's not even going to phase people anymore anymore to worry about correct doctrine. Watch this. Look up. We have arrived at that time. We're there. Where people aren't even worried about it. They're, it's not even phasing them whether or not that's actually correct doctrine, whether or not that's actually theology. Instead, Paul goes on to say, instead, to suit their own, what? What's that word? Their own, what? How many of you got desires? Raise your hand if you got, I got desire, come on. How many got desires? He's saying, hey, what people are going to do is, instead of asking, is this right, they're going to live according to their own desires. 
and they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Whoa. Talk about harsh, Paul. I didn't say it. He said it. In other words, he said, hey, there's going to come a time when people are going to want to hear what they want to hear, and they don't want to hear what they don't want to hear. They're going to just literally live out of their own desires. And did you notice that he said, and there's going to be plenty of teachers who are going to give them what they want. In other words, we have people all over the world that are not looking for what does it say in Scripture, and they're not looking for pastors and leaders that are preaching scripture. Here's what they're doing. They're not even looking for scripture. They're just looking for pastors. And they're just looking for churches. And here's what they do. They go to a church and they go, eh, that's boring. Nah. And they go, nah, I've heard that a thousand times. No. And then they go, yeah, I, you know, yes, you know, you seem kind of intense on your, like, and then they go, Ah, I like the way that makes me, watch this now, feel. I want to come back because that makes me feel a certain way. That, that suits my desires. Hmm. So he's saying that's where people are going to be, and we know that it's true. Have you ever had an itch that you literally, how many of you ever had like poison ivy, a rash, an itch, something healing, that you, it was literally driving you mad? Raise your hands. Come on. Yeah, many of us. Like where it's all you can think about. It's like you're in public and you're like trying not to be out, but you're like. That's what he's saying. He said they have an itch and they want it scratched. They have desires and that's all they're thinking about. That's all they can. They can't even focus on anything else. All they can focus on is scratching their itch to hear what they want to hear in their own desires. So verse 4 says, they will turn their ears away from the truth. There is a truth. Let me say that. There is truth. And they will then turn aside to what? Myths. Let me do a little State of the Union for you. Two minutes. We are a post-Christian nation. Post-Christian. I know someone's like, oh, it's so hard to hear. We're like, listen, I, I could go into the history of America and all that, but we're, we're a post-Christian nation. Here's what studies show us. Studies show us, first of all, that Christianity has become something you check on your Facebook profile. Has nothing to do with your set of beliefs, your system of beliefs, your doctrine your theology. In fact, they did a study where 90% of America believes that there is a higher power, but then if you ask them if they believe in Jesus Christ and that he is the only way to heaven, that number drops to 36%. It goes from 90% to 36%. And if you ask them if you can get to heaven by good works and not just by Jesus, that number cuts in half again. In other words, people that are claiming they're Christians, only 18% of people claiming to be Christians believe that Jesus is the way to be a Christian. Hello? Problem, anybody? Issue, anybody? We are also postmodern. And so 
I don't have time to go into the definition of all of that. Here's just what I want to tell you. There is a pendulum that swings in history. If you look throughout history, you can see a pendulum that goes back and forth. If you look all the way back into the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther literally, you know, uh, literally uh, nailed 95 Theses in Wittenberg, you know, and he, and he said, here's, you know, the thesis, here's the doctrine, here's the theology, here's the tenets, because he was seeing that the church was actually telling people, if you buy indulgences, you can get to heaven, and the church is literally making money off people thinking that they're getting to heaven, and Martin Luther says, no, ho, no, and he literally pounds on a door, nails 95 theses to that door, and then there's good doctrine for a while. The church kind of kind of swings back into good doctrine. And then there's this point where German mysticism comes in, and people are like, you know, worshiping spirits, and it's kind of mystical. And, and, and what happens is theology and doctrine kind of go out the door for a while. And then right after that, there was a time in history where people are like, no, we got to get back. And if you look at most denominations, that's the time where they created a, te- a set of beliefs, a tenet, tenets of beliefs, doctrine, fundamental truths is what we, what we have called them in this church. And so they, they, we got to correct this. And then people went back into, and here's the issue, what happens is People respond to the fact that a church can have good doctrine and good theology but be culturally irrelevant. Hello? We don't want to be culturally irrelevant. Jesus was the most culturally relevant human that ever walked. Hello? He was so culturally relevant. And, we, and so we respond to that by saying, well, we got to be relevant. So then doctrine goes out the door. And now here's where we're at. <laughs> here's where the church, capital C, is at. What if? It's all good. You're a frog? Okay. If that's what you believe, you believe you're a frog, that's great. Hop, hop to it. You believe you can get to heaven by eating candy bars? I had somebody tell me that one time. And I laughed because I thought they were joking. He said, no. I love candy bars, and God loves what I love. Whatever. It's all good. Hey, who am I to judge? You know, do you do you, man. YOLO, you only live once. You do you, I'll do me, and we'll all be a happy family. That wasn't in my notes, that little rhyme. That brings me to another word that I want you to write down, apologetics. Apologetics is a defense of the faith. Apologetics is, no, here is actually truth. Here is actually doctrine. Here is actually theology. It's just a defense of the faith. So let's talk really quickly about some landmines of theology. Okay? First of all, theology is not defined by how I feel. Theology is never defined by how I feel. There's a great danger when we have emotionally based theology. In other words, our belief system is created by how we, what? Feel. Whatever I feel becomes what I believe, and what I believe becomes my truth. Here's what Psychology Today uh, said about this phenomenon. They said, emotions are a powerful attention-directing system. They are responsible regarding our responses called feelings. Those feelings are transferred into thoughts. The thoughts are transferred into beliefs, and beliefs become our what? Our truth. 
Why is it dangerous to start your theology by asking, how do I feel about this? Because our theology never starts with how we feel. It starts with, how does God feel about this? Hello? That's where the beginning of our theology takes place. Well, here's, here's an example. Let me give you an example, okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, wow, Pastor, you're on a rampage today. Here's an example. Would God send people to hell? Would a loving God send people to a place of torment. Watch this. Well, I don't feel like he would. Well, what does the Scripture say? Oh, you're going to go, though. What's the Bible say, Ralph? Well, let me just reiterate how many times in the Bible that it talks about hell. How many times Jesus, in fact, listen to this. Loving Jesus, the one, even if people don't agree, you know, that he's the only way. Like, they got mad love and respect for Jesus. Good teacher, loved people, gave people dignity, helped people. Loving Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. So, well, I just don't think, well, I'm sorry that you don't think that way or feel that way, but that's what the Bible says. Well, and then here's, here's a good question. Do you believe in your heart that, that God would do that? Well, you know, here's the thing. I, I, would, I would believe in what my heart tells me, but the Bible actually has quite a bit to say about my heart. <laughs> here's one, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Here's another one. This is actually Jesus' words. Matthew 15, 19, from the, the mouth of of Christ. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. <laughs> okay, let me just ask you a question. If you were taking resumes about somebody leading your life and the heart showed up and said, here's my resume about why I believe I should be the leader of your life. So here's, here's what I do really well. Evil, slander, Okay, adultery, sexual immorality. In fact, all evil thoughts come from me. And you go, yes, you're hired. I want you to lead my life. No, listen to me closely. Your heart should not be the leader of your, your life. Your heart needs to be led. And not by you. By God. By his word. By right belief system and right theology and right doctrine. Doctrine is not based on how I feel. Number two, theology is not defined through what I experience. Is experience important? Yes, it's important, but it's not good theology. We don't build our belief system on our own experiences. My, my theology is not defined by my, my experiences. Here's why. If I listen to my experiences, it might lead me to believe at different points in my life that God is not good, that God doesn't love me, that there have been periods of my life where God abandoned me and he wasn't speaking to me. And there, if I believed what my experience told me, I would determine in my life that there are seasons where God doesn't love me and he's not good. You remember how I told you about the years, the years I was so sick? 
There was, a, there was a night where the enemy literally, I could almost feel the presence of darkness that came into the room, and a hundred lies are being whispered. You're going to die. The church is going to fail. You're going to leave your wife a widow. Your kids are going to be without a dad. Lie after lie after lie after lie. And in that moment, based on my experiences and my circumstances, if I would have dove into that. Listen, I wouldn't be here today. Instead, I had to say that's not true. Psalm 91 says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I have to say like David said, though he slay, or like Job said, though he slay me, yet will I still serve him. I had to say God is good. God does love me. Why? Because his word says it, even if I'm not experiencing it right now. That's theology. That's building a belief system before you arrive at an experience or a circumstance where you would, you would doubt that belief system. It's predetermining your belief system, your theology. The, theology is not fine by my changing circumstances. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God doesn't change. God has not been deconstructing himself. He is immutable, which is a fancy word for he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and Forever. He doesn't shift like we do. We're all over the map, tossed to and fro, like winds and waves that are blowing us and our lives all over the place. God is solid. He is never changing. He is who he is. Number four, theology is not influenced by culture. It is not influenced by culture. The popular rhetoric of our day does not change who God is. Listen to this Huffington Post article written by a supposed Christian. Okay? Listen to this modern rhetoric. He said, there are scores of Christians, and I am one of them, who do not interpret Jesus' words in John 14. Okay? John 14, 6. Jesus actually said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the, the life. I am the way, the truth. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through what? through me. So here's what this guy is saying. There's scores of Christians, and I'm one of them, who do not interpret Jesus' words in John 14, verse 6, the same way. I offer an alternative interpretation, personally, and many other Christians, too. Jesus is no more pointing to himself as the one and only way. It is my hope that these Christians will know that there are equally sincere Christians, like myself, who do not believe that Jesus was drawing a line in the sand between him and any other religion. Again, it's your right to believe, or more accurately, to interpret Scripture as you wish. There's two problems with that. Number one, Jesus was absolutely saying, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He was drawing a line in the sand. Number two, you can't interpret scripture any way you want to. This is not small group where we go, well, what do you think it says? Well, what do you think it says? Well, what do you think it says? Oh, that's so good. Let's pray. The author was writing to one group, and it has one meaning. And it is up to us to study, to show ourselves approved, to dive into what does this actually mean? What is this actually saying? And how do I apply this to my life? Not in the way I want to, but in the way it tells me to. 
Those are usually two different things, by the way. What does good theology look like when I'm walking with God and I understand who he is and I build a belief system? Number one, I drown my lies in his truth. I drown my lies in his truth. We have to constantly tell our flesh and remind our flesh of who he is. We all have lives we tell ourselves every day, all the time. For example, one lie might sound like you're not going to be worth anything until you make this much. You're not worth anything until somebody puts a ring on it and tells you you're valuable. No, listen, y'all, you don't need a ring to prove that you're valuable. God says you're valuable. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are, oh, you are not only okay in his eyes, you were worth dying for in his eyes. You are not beautiful according to anybody else by, by what you make, by any, like, it is what God says you are. Those lies must be drowned in his truth. Number two, I check my beliefs with what? Scripture. Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Listen, when, we're, when you're in small group, it is not whoever can talk the longest and loudest wins. You know what it is? Here's the question. What does the Bible say about that? What does Scripture tell us about that? Let's dive into actually what God thinks about that. Because until you've actually created a universe, I don't really care what you think about it. And a lot of us are years away from being able to create our own universes. Like, it's going to be a while. Number three, I don't let suffering influence my theology. The number one question that pulls people away from the church is why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Well, there's a lot of theology things with it. There are no good people. Romans 3.10, okay? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We say it in a really nice, fancy way here. There are no perfect people allowed, okay? Reaching imperfect people. Listen, you know what that means? That means you're evil, sucker. <laughs> Me too. We all are. And so when sin came into the world, Suffering came along with it. Number four, I know why I believe. This is big. Now, I, I not only know what I believe, but good theology says I know why I believe. First Peter 3.15, your heart should be holy and set apart for the Lord God. Always be ready to tell everyone who asks you why you believe as you do. Be gentle as you speak and show respect. Let me ask you a few questions. You don't need to answer them. I just want you to think about them as we come to a close. Okay, here's some questions. Do you believe that the Bible that we study and the Bible that we read and the Bible you do your devotions with, do you believe that that Bible is the same Bible and the same 66 books in the canon that was written 2,000 years ago? Do you believe that? Do you? Okay. How many say I believe that? Okay. okay. It's okay if you don't, by the way. Let me say this. Next question. Why? Why do you believe that? Do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and everything in it is true? Why? Do you believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Prove that to me even beyond 
the verses that are in the Bible. Why? Why do you believe that? See, we have not actually, we have spent many years, decades, as a capital C church, not knowing, many of us not even knowing what we believe, most of us not knowing why. Because the Bible says so. Well, can we go? So here's what I want you to write down. Here's the answer. Build your belief systems by thorough instruction, examination, and application of God's Word to your life. You build your theology, your belief systems, by thorough, let me just say that word, thorough instruction, examination, and application of God's Word to your life. Let me say it a little stronger. Write this statement down too. If you don't put in the work, you'll wonder why it doesn't work. Why isn't my faith working? Why, why am I still wrestling? Why, why, am I the, why am I thinking the same about this issue and I haven't grown at all on it? If you don't put in the work, you'll wonder why it, your faith, doesn't work. I have no magic wand to help you. I wish I could give you a one-sentence answer and just wave a magic wand and say, you all have good beliefs from here on out. You will all have solid theology, a sure foundation. You will be able to set your life upon a rock, a firm foundation, and get through anything walking with God through your... I wish I could just wave the wand. But all of our elders would tell you that's not the way this works. you got to put in the work. And when you put in the work, you'll begin to see your faith work. Ivan Segedin, who lived in New Zealand, was ticketed 32 times for failing to wear a seatbelt. True story, 32 times. How many like, dude, like, at like 15, you're like, I'm just going to put my seatbelt on. 32 times. His claim to freedom was costing him some cash, so he decided to outsmart the cops by wearing a fake seatbelt that literally just hung over his shoulder and made it appear that he was strapped in. But he was, in fact, just wearing a strap over the shoulder with nothing to attach the seat to the seat or the door. All was fine and good with this until he had a head-on collision that killed him. It's a morbid story. It's a true story. But here's the point. There are many in God's church that are walking around with fake seatbelts. And when the winds come, and when they crash into COVID-19, and when they crash into political turmoil, and when they crash into racial injustice, and when they crash up against something that they aren't sure of, and when Matthew gets up and says, the Bible says to tithe, and, and, and it works. You worked it, and so it worked. They, it, they crash up against that. Ah, the church just wants my money. No, it's what the Bible says. When they crash up against an ear infection that hasn't gone away in weeks where I can't hear anything out of my left ear, crash up against that. If I seem a little louder this morning, it's for a lot of reasons. Crash up against And if I am 
am not wearing a real seatbelt that's good theology and good doctrine that's been predetermined ahead of time. Listen, when I crash up against those things, my faith dies. And I, listen to me, I want to build a church with disciples and followers of Christ who know what they believe and why they believe it. Your beliefs matter. 